Hello to our listeners. This is Dr. Amani Abdul Razak, and we thought we'd change it up this week a little bit. So um, we present to you an interview I did a little while back with Dr. Arij Al Jawahri, who is an oncologist specializing in the care of patients with hematologic malignancies and those undergoing hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. During this interview, we discuss the benefits of early palliative care in general, as well as in the hemonc population more specifically. We also discuss who is responsible for providing high-quality palliative care on a medical team. We dive in a bit on Dr. El-Jawahri's exciting research on palliative care for patients undergoing aggressive treatments for heme malignancies, specifically stem cell transplantation. We hope you enjoy this interview, and thanks for listening. Dr. Amani Abdul Razak, um, and I have with me today Dr. Arij El Jawahri from Boston, from Massachusetts General Hospital, who is a hematology oncologist who does research focused on early palliative care integration in populations with heme malignancies. Hello, Dr. El Jawahri. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. So, the first question I have for you is why is early palliative care important? So, we know that patients with cancer, whether it's solid tumor or hematological malignancies, struggle with immense physical and psychological symptom burden throughout the illness course. Uh, We know that patients have to make difficult decisions about their treatment that impact their quality of life, as well as the quality of their end-of-life care. And we also know that their caregivers, their family, friends, also struggle with um, their loved one's illness. There have been multiple studies done in the context of oncology showing that the early integration of palliative care improves quality of life, as well as uh, reduces depression symptoms for patients with advanced cancer. We also know that early palliative care improves outcomes for caregivers of patients with cancer. Um, And we also know that palliative care can help patients make more optimal decision about their end-of-life care and improves the quality of their end-of-life care. So the data are really compelling about the integration of palliative care early in the course of treatment for patients with cancer. So that's a great uh, a great point to start off with. And I think that we've heard that message before in many other places. My next question for you would be, what does the research really show us about early palliative care in populations with solid tumors? Because that seems to be where the research sort of took off in the oncology world, was this with a solid tumor population. Absolutely. So there have been multiple randomized clinical trials in patients with solid tumors, mostly focused on patients with advanced metastatic cancer. Um, All of them really have shown there's clear improvement in quality of life for patients with advanced cancer um, when they receive early palliative care. We also know there's improvement in symptom burden, and there seems to be a definite improvement in psychological distress, particularly depression symptoms. Uh, Patients receiving uh, palliative care, early palliative care, sometimes can also have longer stay in hospice, um, which is a quality metric for uh, many patients with advanced solid tumor. So the data are really compelling about early palliative care and advanced solid tumor. We also know that uh, from multiple studies from Dr. Temmel's work, Dr. Bakitas's work, and Dr. Zimmer's work, that caregivers of patients with advanced cancer also benefit from uh, having early palliative care. Uh, We know that caregiver can have reduced caregiver burden with early palliative care integration, as well as less depression symptoms. Thank you. And yeah, I know you mentioned Dr. Tamil, Dr. Bikitas, and Dr. Zimmerman. I think for our audience today, it would be really important for them to familiarize themselves, at least with Dr. Tamil's work, which was one of the first to show that early integration of palliative care um, 
in uh, an advanced lung cancer population, not only improved quality of life, but also improved survival. Absolutely. Well, you know, what's interesting is that when Dr. Timmel initially started that work, this was one of the earlier studies of early palliative care in advanced lung cancer. And the hope was to actually, when, when looking at survival, was to really actually show that early palliative care did not lead to premature or early mortality. Mm-hmm. Which was a bit of a hidden message, I guess you could say, in the clinical context. Absolutely. Yeah. And to the contrary, mm-hmm. um, that study, as well as Dr. Bikidis' enable study, have shown that palliative care can improve survival in patients with cancer. Um, that's probably actually driven by a lot of the decisions that patients make at the end of life when it comes to receiving chemotherapy. Patients with early palliative care sometimes opt to stop chemotherapy a little bit sooner uh, in the illness trajectory, and maybe that's actually avoiding some harm at the end of Mm -hmm. life, and uh, as a result, there is a survival benefit. I suspect that moving forward, we are not going to be actually able to look at survival in the way we look at it now, mostly because cancer treatment and cancer therapeutics have evolved rather rapidly. And uh, I would say that the populations that we're including in these trials are so much more heterogeneous than earlier studies Mm -hmm. that that is not the primary outcome of many of the palliative care studies moving forward. But we know for certain that palliative care does not shorten survival in patients with advanced cancer. And there are some data to suggest that it actually may improve survival. Yeah, thank you for that. And speaking as a palliative care physician, I completely um, echo that message that I think our outcomes of interest are more about quality of life and patient-reported outcomes. Our next question will be, what are the palliative care needs of patients with heme malignancies? So we know that patients with hematological malignancies have immense physical symptom burden, probably driven by uh, the intense chemotherapy treatments that are offered for patients with hematological malignancies. Patients with heme malignancies receive some of the most intensive treatments we have to offer in oncology, which results in a lot of toxicities and side effects, including nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, um, as well as psychological distress that's probably driven uh, by some of the social isolation that patients with hematological malignancies experience. They're often hospitalized more so than patients with advanced solid tumor, and they spend a significant proportion of their life in the hospital. And as a result, there is a social isolation and loss of control um, and psychological distress and trauma related to their illness. So throughout the illness trajectory, patients with hematological malignancies struggle with both physical and psychological symptoms. What makes this population even more unique is that there is tremendous prognostic uncertainty, and so there's a lot of uncertainty for patients and families in dealing with optimal treatment choices and how those treatment choices impact uh, both their quality of their life as well as their potential for a cure for their cancer. We also know that patients with hematological malignancies do have um, receive very intensive treatments at the end of life. Um, 80% of patients with hematological malignancies um, are hospitalized in the last 30 days of life, and the majority of them die in the hospital. And often if you ask patients and families where they want to die, they say they want to die at home. And so clearly, uh, these patients also have immense end-of-life care needs that we are not meeting currently. Mm-hmm. And when you were chatting, because we had the opportunity to have you speak at our, our grand rounds at the University of Calgary uh, Division of Palliative Medicine, you were mentioning also something which honestly didn't come top of mind, which is even when you've gone for a quote-unquote cure, people um, are dealing with potentially things like chronic graft-versus-host disease. Can you describe sort of a Coles Notes version for our med student listeners, what that might look like? Absolutely. So chronic graft-versus-host disease is the um, most common cause of morbidity and mortality in hematopoietic stem cell transplant survivors. 
Um, chronic GVHD uh, is triggered by basically um, the immune system from the donor attacking the body of the host of the patient. And it results in multiple different clinical manifestations. So patients could have um, dry eye, they can have dry mouth, they could have rashes, they could have a lot of the manifestations that we actually see with autoimmune diseases. They could be very mild and not impact their quality of life, or they could be very moderate or severe, causing really a lot of distress and a lot of impairment, both physically and psychologically. And one of the hardest things for these patients um, in my clinical experience is that these are patients who went for a curative treatment. And so they expect their life to go back to normal. And unfortunately, a proportion of these patients will never recover back to normal. And there is a mismatch between their expectation for their future and what actually happens to them in reality. Some of them are unable to return to work. Uh, some of them are unable to have families. Many are uh, impaired functionally from being able to run or do the things that they love to do. And as a result of that, these patients do um, struggle a lot with the idea of being a survivor and being grateful that they should be a, they should be grateful for being a survivor, yet at the same time their quality of life is really really impaired, mm -hmm. and that area is a whole other area of research that we really need to be focused on. And how do we help these patients really um, um, optimize their quality of life with living now with this chronic condition mm -hmm. that is impacting them in a way that they never expected? And I would say that the term survivorship is very kind of a variable definition as well. And whether that means you're still living with cancer or you're, you know, considered in remission or cure, that you see different definitions out there. My next question is, can you describe your work to our audience, um, your current work on early palliative care in patients with hemolignancies? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things, to your point earlier, that we were trying to prove was that early palliative care can be helpful in the curative setting. So patients with hematological malignancies undergoing stem cell transplant are going for a stem cell transplant to cure their underlying illness. And we really wanted to make the point that palliative care can be helpful regardless of the patient's prognosis. And in fact, in our study, we uh, enrolled patients who were admitted for hematopoietic stem cell transplant uh, from Mass General Hospital, and they were randomly assigned to receiving early integrated palliative care with transplant care, where palliative care clinicians saw patients in the hospital during their transplant hospitalization. Uh, the transplant hospitalization lasts about four weeks for these patients, and palliative care clinicians saw them at least twice per week during the hospitalization. Um, and then patients were also randomized to receiving standard transplant care without palliative care involvement. And what we saw that early palliative care integration in transplant care improved a wide range of patient reported outcomes, including quality of life, depression, anxiety, and symptom burden during hospitalization for stem cell transplant. What was even more impressive about this data is that we actually saw that despite that the palliative care intervention really focused on the inpatient transplant hospitalization, that these patients experienced improvement in their psychological outcomes up to six months post-transplant. That includes outcomes like post-traumatic stress uh, symptoms, which are very prevalent in patients undergoing stem cell transplant. And it tells us that really having palliative care intervene during the traumatic event, which is the stem cell transplant hospitalization, can really help these patients reduce their distress in the long term. My next question is, do you think palliative care could be taught to everybody in medical school? And should it be in most doctors' skill sets, or do you think it's a specialized skill that they, you know, should be sort of outsourced to the palliative care specialists? 
So I think uh, palliative care should be taught to everybody in medical school. I think there are some primary palliative care skills that we all as clinicians should have. I can speak for oncologists, for example. There are a lot of essential communication palliative care skills that we need to have in our day-to-day -day practice. That does not um, take away the need for specialty palliative care. In fact, that allows us to actually use our specialty palliative care providers in the most effective way possible. So there are some patients um, that will require a higher level of need for complex symptom management, complex psychological distress, difficulty with end-of-life or treatment decision-making. And these patients should and would benefit from specialty palliative care involvement. But if we elevate our level of primary palliative care practice and skill set across all providers, we will be able to provide better care for patients and families. And remember, a lot of the data on palliative care integration is in oncology, but the reality is there are many, many patients with uh, life-altering diagnoses, COPD, congestive heart failure, end-stage liver disease. And so the reality is there will never be enough palliative care clinicians to see every single patient facing a life-altering diagnosis or a life-threatening illness. And so we all need to be able to provide some basic level of primary palliative care to our patients and families. I agree wholeheartedly. I think you said that, you articulated that really, really well. Thank you. Okay, last question. Do you think palliative care is depressing? Do you get that question a lot? <laughs> uh, so I'm not a palliative care doctor, although I, as you know, I've been a palliative care groupie my entire life. I would yeah. say that, um, no, absolutely not. You know, I'm a transplant physician. Um, I take care of patients who go through curative treatment and they're cured of their illness and they're doing great. I see patients who struggle with some survivorship issues like chronic graft versus host disease and I also see patients who unfortunately have their disease come back after a transplant and they relapse and they're facing end-of-life decisions. And the most gratifying part of my day is oftentimes when I have really difficult conversations with patients and families where I help them make better decisions for their end-of-life care. And so the reality is when patients are cured, it's great and it's wonderful and I get some satisfaction out of that. And you're cheerleading along and with I'm them. And I'm cheerleading yeah. along yeah. with them, but that part yeah. is easy. The more challenging part of my job is really helping patients and families facing really difficult situations. And at the end of the day, that's the that's one aspect of my job that I really, really love. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's incredibly gratifying. My mentor is Vicki Jackson. Um, she's the chief of palliative care at Mass General. Mm -hmm. Describes her clinical encounters with patients as truly a spiritual experience for mm -hmm. her. And so it sustains her. Mm -hmm. um, it mm -hmm. makes her who she is and it makes her more resilient. So I think it's actually quite the opposite. And there's actually uh, research to support that. Um, there was work, I think, only a few years back showing that palliative care physicians, um, generally speaking, have a strong sense of resiliency in their work. I could absolutely see yeah. that. The palliative care clinicians are the psychologists of medicine as much <laughs> as they are also the most humanistic doctors that I've ever met. So it's a really great field. I to, didn't pay to her to say of. any of this, but thank you, Dr. Joy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Once again, I really appreciate it. And I think for our show notes uh, for this episode, we'll include Dr. Temel's seminal work on early palliative care in the population with advanced lung cancer, as well as your work that was published in JAMA in 2016, the randomized control trial. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. You can take care. We hope you enjoyed our episode today. We'd like to extend a special thank you to Zahid Damani for producing and editing our episodes, as well as for our beautiful website. Kasim Harani for the music, and Nishan Sharma for all of his support getting us up and running. 
Thank you also to our financial sponsor, Dr. Srini Chari. If you liked this episode, please let us know by clicking like and subscribing to our podcast. You can find It's Not All About Death on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform for podcasts. You can also find our episodes and connect with us anytime by visiting our website at itsnotallaboutdeath.com or on Instagram at itsnotallaboutdeath.com.